Good morning. Let's continue in our series. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. We're going to continue our series there. Before we begin, let's pause and let's pray. I think I'm praying more for my sake than for your sake, but let's, let's pray. Father, as we've been going through this book, there have been so many things that have touched me and jumped out into my life, and I pray that this morning it would continue, that as we read these stories, as you have given them to us, Father, may they capture us, may we feel the emotion that is there, and may we, through the story, understand the lessons that are to be learned. May our ears be open to hear your Spirit's voice and whisper into our own hearts. May we turn our attention towards you, and may we put aside the distractions that would keep us from hearing all that you have for us in this time. And may our lives be changed this morning because of time spent with you. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 37. We are coming to the last portion of this book. As we've been looking throughout, we've seen these genealogies where there'll be a list of names and then that list of names leads us into another narrative. And that genealogy is a way of transitioning from one topic to another topic. And so we've gone through all these lists and these names and we've talked about different events, different stories, God establishing himself with his people with Abraham, and now we're here at Jacob. But this is the last portion. We have reached the the climactic end of this book with the end of Jacob's life and the story of Joseph. And these will be our last studies in the book of Genesis before we go into our core values, which we'll cover in a few weeks. Bless you. But now we have probably one of the most moving stories that take place in all of Scripture. And as we go through these series of talks, I hope that we can understand the depth of what is being shared here. And it's, again, not just theological truth. It is truth that is wrapped up in life. It is truth that is captured in these stories that are being revealed. And so let's begin in chapter 37 verses 1, and we'll read all the way through verse 11. It says, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks of his brothers, the sons of Bilah and sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, 
Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. And so we see the story begins and Joseph basically is the favorite. Joseph is, that's not good. Joseph is a spoiled brat, okay? Joseph gets a coat, a robe that symbolizes that of status, would basically be that of kind of royalty later on in his life. And so Joseph is being put on this pedestal by his father, Jacob, and that causes problems. They hate him because of that. And we've seen this throughout this family, haven't we? We've seen this favoritism. Jacob loved his one wife, Rachel, but he didn't love as much Leah. And we saw the problem that caused in that household. We saw the problem with Jacob and Esau where Rebecca loved Jacob, but Isaac loved Esau and the tension that was there. And remember, when you only know one way of life, that becomes your reality. And so this is the reality that Jacob lives in. This is now the reality that his sons live in. And this reality is now tainted with hatred because of what they've done, because of their behavior, because of how he acted, not only with the other boys, but the favoritism that he showed towards Joseph. And as Joseph behaves like this spoiled child, the the feeling of privilege is there. He, he starts to act that way. And so he has no problem telling his brothers about this dream. And he has a dream that comes from God, but he doesn't know how to convey the truth that he received from God. And as he gets this robe, this ornate robe that symbolizes favoritism, that symbolizes prestige, that one day might even symbolize his inheritance, something begins to take place within him. You ever notice when you you dress a certain way, it, it affects how you act? I remember when my son had gone through the boot camp for the Marines and he was graduating And he was done with all his training. And at the end, they have the ceremony and the the conclusion. He's there and he's dressed in his uniform and he looked as proper as you could look. There wasn't a crease out of place. There wasn't a wrinkle on his uniform. Everything was just impeccable. He stood with the best of posture. It's like, what did you do to my son? Where where did he go? And, and all of a sudden, this man is standing there and we go through the ceremony and the graduation and on our way home, he gets to, to come back before he goes back for more training. And we stop at a Starbucks and there he is in his uniform and he's got his hat off. 
because the Marines, you're not supposed to wear the hat inside. And he goes in there, or his cover, whatever they call it. And he goes in there, and there is a highway patrolman there at Starbucks. And my son, out of his normal character, goes, good morning, officer. You know, he even talks different. You know, he's just like, I'm like, who are you? You know, you talk to people. You never talk to people, but he's, good morning, officer. You know, and the highway patrol looks at this young man standing there, and he starts going, oh, you're just out of the academy. Yes, yes, yes. And then the, the officer buys us all coffee. And I'm like, I'm taking you everywhere. You, you're, you're going with me, you know. But there was something that's changed. It affected how he conducted himself, and he just looked great. I mean, the same thing in a, a bride, you know, when she's getting married, she puts on that wedding dress, and it's all about her. The groom, he just rents his stuff. He's got to give it back. You know, it's all about the bride. She goes out, gets the gown, the bridesmaids, everything. And it's her moment. It's her day. And so with this robe, there comes the attitude. And Joseph starts thinking himself in a certain light. He sees himself as privileged. And even though he hears the truth in the dream, he doesn't know how to convey it to the people around him. And the way he does it, it says, causes them to hate him even more. And I was thinking how similar that is to so many people who hold the truth about Jesus. Where we have this incredible message of God's love and grace and God extending himself to us to actually reach us where he says, I'm not going to require you to come to my level. I'm actually going to go to your level and meet you where you're at. And this amazing story that is just overwhelming that a God would care so much about us to do this for us. But those who hold this message sometimes don't convey it very well. And people actually hate us because of how we communicate this message. The message is true. The dreams were true, but not knowing how to convey them, not knowing what to say and how to say it is as important as what you have to say. Because if you have the truth but cannot share it in the manner that it's supposed to be shared in, you lose the power that is there. And so how many people, when they think of I, a Christian, in their mind, it is someone who is judgmental. How many people, when they hear the idea of a Christian, their mentality goes to things and people that they don't like because of what has happened to them, because of what has been done to them. And this beautiful message has been tainted because of how it's been shared. What a powerful lesson to learn from Joseph. Even though he had these two dreams, and Joseph is going to have three sets of dreams, and they come in pairs, and they're going to shape his life. They're going to lead him into a place where he's going to be taken into captivity. They're going to also lead him into a place of position and authority. 
And we're going to start to see that Jacob is going to learn, or Joseph is going to learn how to speak a little bit more wisely. But in this instance, we see the tension building between him and his brothers. And Jacob's no help. Rather than hide his favoritism, he indulges it, you know, having the special coat made for him. And we start to see that, you know, even the beginning, chapter 2, you know, Joseph goes in and tells on his brothers. He goes and, you know, oh, he went out to the field, but he told on them to his dad. So he's not one of them. You know, most siblings, they have that pack, don't tell mom or dad, unless it's your skin. You know, if it's your skin, then, okay, all the beans come out, you know, if it's... But otherwise, there's this pack, and you guys know, I'm still hearing stories that happened when my kids were young. Oh yeah, we never told you about that time we set fire to, you know, it's like, what? You did what? Why didn't anyone tell me? Because there's that little pack of, you know, siblings. Don't tell mom, don't tell the dad. That's not happening here. Here, Joseph and Jacob, yeah, I'll tell on my brothers because I'm the favorite. And so we see animosity building. His brothers not only hated him because of the jealousy, it intensified even more when he started boasting about this dream. And the interpretation of the dream was obvious. Are we going to bow to you? Your sheaf stands up, ours bows to you. The sun, the moon, and 11 stars. There just happens to be 11 brothers. Really? And even Jacob says, come on, what's going on? Hey, settle down. But Jacob keeps it in mind and keeps it in his heart. But both Jacob and Joseph seem very naive to what is taking place. They seem oblivious to the tension that is there between the two brothers. They don't see that tension. And, and we see that the immaturity continues as the story continues and it starts to get very dark. In verse 12, we continue. Now, his brothers had gone to graze their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel, that's Jacob, said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are, are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. In other words, you don't have to be out there with them. Just go and, and see how things are going. You know, me and you, son, I'll send you out there. Tell me if they're screwing up again or not, okay? Let me know what they're doing. And so... Then he sent him off to the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He's wandering around the fields. He doesn't even know where they're at. He doesn't know what he's supposed to do. This is the brother who's not one of the ones who's familiar with the environment. He's not out there very often. So he's, he's Fumbling around, wandering, lost, looking aimlessly. Where are they? Where they, Shouldn't they be here? Go, I'm going to tell dad. They're not where they're supposed to be. You know, this kind of mentality is there with them. And so he replied to him, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing their flocks? They have moved from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance. And before he reached them, 
they plotted to kill him. Before they he reached him, them, he plotted to kill them. They probably saw his coat. It probably like had sequins or something on it. It was probably shining. And they saw him coming, and it was just that reminder. Oh, he's coming to check on us. Man, I hate that guy. And we see that the emotion begins to build. Verse 19, here comes that dreamer. They said to each other, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes to his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and to take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. First thing they took, that symbol of you think you're better than me, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty and there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh. And they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hand on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? In other words, I'm going to answer to dad. I'm in trouble. Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. Really, how many of these robes are there? (laughs) He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. As we read this story, we can get removed from the emotion of it. Think of of the animosity it would take to do something like this to anybody, let alone your own brother. Think of the hatred you would have to have to plot to kill them and then to sell them as a slave. Think of what's taking place in Joseph's heart and Joseph's mind as his brothers take him and deal with him in this way. And he's being sold as a slave. My life. 
what, what, what's just happened to me? This, is, this was supposed to be my family. And as we see this story starting to unfold, there's some very telling things in this story. I mean, what is this story here for? It, it's here to enlighten us. It's here to inform us. You know, in verse 3, it says that Jacob loved Joseph more than his other sons. But then it says, because he was the son of his old age. In other words, it was because he was old and he was still able to have a kid, he loved him more. It wasn't so much that Joseph was such a great kid that he loved him, it's because of how it made him feel, how it made him look. So the love that Jacob had or Israel had for his son was really selfish. It was really self-centered. It wasn't about Joseph which is why it's so, it could be so irregardless of the others. It was about himself. He loved the way this son made him feel. It gave him pride to know that I was this age and I had a son in my old age. Ha. People are going to say, wow, look at you. Man, you still got it. That's right. I had a son. He was boasting in what he had. See, there's something about love that is for self, to please self, that will poison everything else around it. A love that just wants to indulge in itself is deadly. And that's what we see from the get-go, that Israel's love was really about himself. And then what it produced in Joseph was the same attitude of self, esteeming himself, lifting himself up. And emotions run high in this chapter. Every action of every character is motivated by emotion. And every action damages someone or something. They sabotage the relationship and cause everything to fly apart. And that is so much the case. Everything that we do has an effect on those around us. And if emotion takes over, we will mistake emotion for the reality that we live in. And our emotion will become the reality that you understand and that you see. And so we see Joseph's attitude, arrogance. He had this emotion of arrogance. His bias destroyed his other sons, his relationship with Joseph. We see hatred throughout this with the brothers to Joseph. We see self-centeredness. Joseph assumed his father and brothers would be as interested in his great dreams as he was. I had a great dream. You all worship me. Aren't you guys excited? Yeah, we're thrilled. Nice one, Joseph. You see, that self-centeredness blinded him to the reality of what was taking place all around him. Anger, the resentment, the rage, the open hostility towards his brother. All these emotions, fear. Reuben has fear for himself. What's going to happen to me when dad sees that his son is dead? Despair. Jacob gave up trying to find joy anywhere else. 
except in his lost son. And so this story is enlightening us on how emotions affect what we do. How our emotional mindset can change the reality and we will confuse them for reality. We think that we can't live without them. Our emotions become all that we know. And you've probably experienced this. When you go through a time where you are depressed, you're you're sad, you're overwhelmed with the circumstance. It doesn't matter how temporary that circumstance is. In your mind, this is your life and this is all you see. When people commit suicide and take their life, they don't think their life will change. They don't think that the events will get better. They don't think that they are ever going to see the light of day out of this sense of depression. And so they are trapped in an emotion. And even though that emotion can change the next day with news about something else, even though the emotions are as fickle as the weather, when you are living in it, it becomes your reality and you see everything through it. And so we see in this story the importance that emotion plays in how we live out our lives and how they affect the things that we do. But these destructive forces can ruin us and our closest relationships. The word emotion is emotion a movement outward. It's to stir something up. And what's being stirred up in this story? The inner feelings that are there. A negative emotion is an emotion that is absence of something. It's missing something. It's missing something like goodness. It's missing something like beauty. It's missing something like peace. It's missing something like health. Those are negative emotions. Those are emotions but are minus something that is beneficial. And so when we have negative emotion, what is happening is we are working from a deficit of something that is absent in our lives. And then what we try to do is we try to feel the absence. But if that's the reality, we don't fill the absence with the things that are good. You see, the brothers didn't try and fill this absence of good towards their brother. They filled it with hatred. And so their conclusion was, we'll kill him. Why? Because there was an absence of something good and it affected the outcome and it produced something bad. Is there an absence of something good? Maybe there's an absence of love. And that's why you have this emotion of despair. And it'll cause you to to step out and try and fill it, but unless you fill it with something that is good, like love, usually you will fill it with something that is harmful to you. Anytime there is an absence, if we don't fill that with something that's beneficial, we will fill it with something that is detrimental. How many people in their relationships, because of emotion, make choices, make decisions, do things that cause harm to those around them? Why? It's because there was something absent. There was an emotion that moved them. 
whatever reason the emotion is there, they moved basing their life on the reality of how they felt. And we need to learn from this story that it is very important that we are able to examine our emotion. We need to recognize that the emotional mind affects the rational mind. The emotional mindset affects how we see reality around us. And so someone comes up to you and they tell you, man, I'm really depressed. I just feel like there's nothing good in my life. And you're thinking, man, you've got a good job. You've got a, a good husband, a good wife. You've got wonderful children. W- what are you talking about? What do you mean there's nothing good in your life? You have great friends who are there by you. You see, this one instance, you know, this one person who meant something to me said something that was devastating to me, and now my emotional vision, my reality is despair because this person who I counted on or I trusted in let me down because this what I was hoping in is not going to fall through and now my future is colored by the emotion that I'm in that affects who we are it influences our behavior it shapes our personality It shapes the quality of our life. Note the relationship of negative emotion to speech in this chapter. He gave them a bad report. He could not speak. He said, let us kill him. This dream master. All these words that are connected to these emotions. Joseph's brothers couldn't even say his name when they plotted to kill him. This dreamer. The emotion controlled even how they spoke. The destruction of negative emotion is personal. It's poison to the person who has them and it's relational. It'll poison the relationships around them. If you're not aware of those emotions and allow them to capture you, they will poison you and they will poison how you see the world and affect every relationship that you're in. So, what do we do? I don't know about you, but I I can't stop emotion. When I feel bad, I don't just say, where's that emotion switch? Let me flip that one off. There, that's better. I'm good now. How do you deal with emotion? You deal with the heart. You, You deal with how you see things. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus took on negative emotions. Jesus dealt with them head on. In several examples, he worked backward from a behavior to the negative emotion that inspired it. Right? You've heard it said, you shall not commit murder. But I tell you, anyone who hates his brother has committed murder in his heart already. Isn't that what has just happened in this story. There was already murder in the heart that led to the emotion and the action. And so Jesus takes that action and brings it all the way back to that thought and intent of the heart. And that's really what we have to get to. He addressed egotism, that showboating, greed, anxiety, judgmental attitudes. 
Jesus demonstrates and stresses the importance of taking the negative emotions seriously. Those thoughts and intents in your heart is where the problem starts. And so the minute you start to say, I hate that guy, think of where that will lead you. Oh, it might not lead you to physical murder, but it will kill you and it will kill the relationships around you. Do you think the brothers were just going to be affecting their relationship with Joseph? Their relationship with Jacob was influenced. Now their father Israel was mourning. How do you think that played on the rest of their lives? How do you think that played on their grandchildren? How do you think that played on the family? Their actions affected their lives and it was going to affect their lives further on as the story unfolds. When that thought comes, that anger, that hatred, that jealousy, that pride, that arrogance, that lust, whatever it is, think about where it will take you. Deal with the heart so that the emotions don't run rampant. Deal with the heart so that you don't ruin everything and everyone around you. Deal with it before it spreads and causes something more detrimental. But because it's Jesus who brings these things to our attentions, we are not alone. He, he never leaves us on our own. It's not as if we're out there just having to deal with it. If there is something he wants from us, he is willing to work with us to produce it in us. Therefore, each a negative emotion that we have can actually be a door to Christ. We don't have a high priest who cannot be touched with our infirmities, but in every way, was tempted like us, yet without sin. We don't have someone who does not know what we have been through, what we are going through. And at that place of darkness, of despair, there is a door you can knock on that will be opened, that you can engage with the living God who can then talk to you where you're at, who can then help you where you're at. We don't serve a God who is not dynamic and alive and engaged We have a God who is participating in our lives, who is speaking to us in those moments, who is encouraging us through the difficulty, who is holding our hands when we are alone. We have the opportunity to fill that hole that is missing with the negative and bring God and have him fill it with what is lacking. So that when we are depressed, we can fill it with hope. I know the plans I have for you. I've begun a good work in you. I will perform it. Oh, the world you'll have difficulty and struggle, but take courage. I've overcome the world. We have the promises of God that start filling in all the negativity. These people who have hurt me, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The promises of God and who he is can then bring us back to reality and seeing things as they really are and not just through the cloud of emotion. With Jesus, his teaching example, his abiding presence, 
we can turn, we can nurture positive emotions. These will not only work in the opposite direction of the negative, that is, heal our souls and create healthy and strong relational bonds with others, but they also work as spiritual antioxidants, making us better people and better prepared for better relationships with God, with his son, and with people. They will begin to heal how you see the world around you. So when the emotions come, you have been given that antidote. You have been given that, what do you call it when you, like you go to get a flu shot? What do they call it? Immunization. You've been immunized. Thank you. Group participation. You see, the relationship with God and allowing his influence immunizes us helps us in those times of emotional despair, struggle, and darkness. They help to lift us up. And so this story is telling us what can happen with emotion when it becomes the reality that we see. It tells us the danger of emotion that is not recognized and addressed. And Jesus tells us how to deal with the behavior by dealing first with the heart. If every one of the characters in this story would have dealt with the matter before it turned into something else, if Israel, Jacob, would have dealt with what he was doing to his other sons, his arrogance, his pride. This is the son of my old age. Look at me. If he would have stopped to look and see what that is doing inside of himself, he could have prevented all of this. If Joseph would have stopped and instead of just, yeah, I know the truth, this is what's going to happen. His dream was true, but the way he shared it was so wrong. If he would have stopped and thought about what he was doing to others instead of just how he felt about himself, he could have actually diffused this situation. If the brothers would have stopped this jealousy and stopped hating and hating, it would have stopped them from doing what they did to their brother and shaming themselves. And so I believe the the message for us this morning is to recognize how our emotion will frame our reality. And if we don't take control of those emotions, they will control us and lead us into areas that can be destructive. If we don't deal with negative emotion and fill it with the things that are good, then nothing good will come from those things. And so let's learn our lesson from this story here. Let's pray. Father, I can look back in my life and see how many times my negative emotions have caused detriment to not only myself, but to those around me. And Lord, how many times I have seen 
emotion lead to terrible behavior, irrational behavior, all because of how we feel. And Lord, we need to recognize the power that this has and not allow emotion to stir us, to move us in unhealthy ways. And so we desperately need your guidance. We, we need understanding. We need help. We need your presence to give us clarity on what is really taking place so that we don't get caught up with just the emotion. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be people who have healthy relationships because we have healthy emotions. Because we take the jealousies and we deal with them before they turn into the bitterness, before they turn into those things that are ugly. That We would take the anger and deal with it before it turns into that separation, that disconnect. We find ourselves far away from the ones who we love and care about. All those areas of negativity, Lord, may we recognize them and may we allow you to fill our lives with those things that will immune us from them so they do not have the influence on us and the hold on us that we see took place in this chapter. And may we develop healthy relationships. May we develop healthy marriages. May we have great dynamics between parents and children. May we not allow hurt to influence how we act. May we not allow ourselves with our friends to become separated and disjoined because of things that have happened. May we do what we can to pursue those things that will bring wholeness to us, God. So, Father, we, we, we want to spend time and acknowledge your ability to influence our lives. And as we continue in a hearts of worship, Lord, we want to do just that. We want to, even now, surrender emotion to you. As we sing, Father, may our hearts be turned to emotion and filled with your presence as you would inhabit the praises of your people. And so we dedicate not only this time of song to you, but in this time we dedicate ourselves to you and ask that you would take those areas that have been damaged because of emotion and bring healing and a clear understanding of the reality of who you are and what you have for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship.